Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. Welcome into Soccer Morning, brought to you by WorldSoccerTalk.com. I hope you had quite a lovely weekend. Hope you enjoyed all of the soccer on offer. We will discuss as much of it as we can in the next hour and change here. Big show for you today. Kyle McCarthy will join us in a couple of minutes to discuss the MLS weekend. We'll review what happened up in Jersey, what happened up in Seattle, uh, what happened uh, in Houston. Goals, goals everywhere in MLS. Going to be an interesting uh, review with Mr. McCarthy from Fox Soccer Inside MLS. Got a lot of news to cover. I'm going to get to that as well. Hope you guys are aware that we launched the Sirius XM FC show a week from today. One week from today, we will be on Sirius XM FC from 11 a.m. Eastern until 1 p.m. That's in addition to this show, with this show moving back an hour to 9 o'clock Eastern time. So we're doing worldsoccertalk.com slash live from 9 until 10-ish Eastern, 10-plus-ish Eastern. Then we take a little break. We have some lunch. Uh, Trevor, uh, you know, I don't know, hits the treadmill or something. I don't know what he does. And then we come back on at 11 a.m. Eastern on Sirius XMFC, Channel 94, which you need to buy a subscription to get. You should be doing that already. Should have happened by now. I don't know what you're waiting for. Why are you not doing that? So that's uh, that's the plan. Let's get into today's headlines again. A, a very full weekend. We will get to all of the MLS with Kyle McCarthy, so I'm going to leave that to the side. As I said, lots of goals. I think there were 21 goals scored in like four games on Saturday. We had a we had triple header yesterday. We had games. We had a game on uh, Friday night. Two games on Friday night. Is that right? So it was uh, it was quite the heavy national TV weekend. Lots of soccer to enjoy. You may have checked out the Premier League as well. Chelsea creeping ever closer to the Premier League title with a goalless draw against Arsenal at the Emirates. Now, the best part of this match was not what happened on the field, because clearly a goalless draw really doesn't get anybody's juices flowing. Lots of criticism about the way Jose Mourinho played this. And look, I, I, I like my pretty soccer as much as anybody else. But when you're Jose Mourinho and you're this close to a title, why on earth would you go to the Emirates and open it up? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And yet here we go with some banter back and forth because you know Arsene Wenger and Jose Mourinho just don't get they just don't like each other. They don't get along. They're just uh, they're just two different sides of the coin. So after Arsene Wenger uh made some of his own comments and the fans at the Emirates were chanting boring boring Chelsea because of the way that they were playing, Jose Mourinho said Quote, I think boring is 10 years without a title. That's boring. If you support a club and you wait, wait, wait for so many years without a Premier League title, then that's boring. Shots fired. Jose Mourinho with some shots. Lots of quotes out of Jose. This this was not the only one, although I think this is the most pointed one. And this is going to reopen. And this is always a fun time when it comes to this sport. It's going to reopen that discussion. Would you rather your team play some pretty soccer and maybe come in third or fourth or, or middle table, mid table? Or would you rather them play some more entertaining soccer and, and, well, is that what I said already? I lay it out wrong. Play entertaining soccer and finish third or fourth. Losing my mind on a Monday. 
or play ugly soccer, especially on occasion. It's not as though Chelsea has always been ugly this year, but play ugly soccer and win a title. And this is how Jose Mourinho built his reputation as a guy who knows how to lock things down, park the bus. It's not always about 10 behind the ball, although that's, yeah, that's definitely the simplest way to do it. It's not always about foregoing possession, although that's definitely a part of it as well. But those things are elements of the way Jose Mourinho coaches his teams. And as I said, they're on the verge of a title. So can you throw shade at Jose Mourinho for the way that he plays and his teams play if they're going to lift the Premier League trophy? Maybe Arsenal's fans were not singing to us, he said. When you want to win the game and take your striker Olivier Giroud off, maybe they want more. Maybe they want Giroud and Theo Walcott up front. This boring team has got the second highest number of goals, has the best goal difference. Only Manchester City have scored more goals than us. Again, I don't know why Jose's responding so adamantly to to this issue. Maybe he should just revel in the title and keep his mouth shut. But that's not Jose, is it? Elsewhere in the Premier League, Everton thumped Manchester United. Watch some of that game. Not sure what was going on with Manchester United. Louis Van Gaal talking about how he knew things weren't right with his team during warm-ups or something. or Whatever. Whatever. You went, you went to go to center and you got your ass handed to you. I suppose that happens. Chicharito Hernandez got the start in the Champions League, scored the goal in the Champions League, kept that going with two goals against Celta Vigo to keep Real Madrid in the La Liga title race. I don't think they're ultimately going to get there. But now Chicharito is building a little bit of momentum heading into a summer where you can expect him to move. And this is going to help him get some offers. Uh, Very likely going to stay in Europe, Chicharito Hernandez, and probably with a pretty decent club. I'm not sure what the rumors are out there right now. I don't know what the latest is. But he's going to find a a very soft landing place, I'm pretty sure. I'm not sure if you saw this on, I think this was on Friday that Don Garber, after the show, after we were done off the air, Don Garber held a teleconference roundtable with some reporters. Lots of questions for Don about expansion, clearly. Top of mind for a lot of people as the league makes an announcement in Minnesota, as they continue to monitor Miami, as Sacramento makes their big push. Don Garber saying, I believe we can expand and manage the league far larger than we are today without having to contemplate promotion and relegation. We'll come back to that. He also said that they're going to move past 24 teams. That may be that may have been a target initially. 24 sounded about right. They're going to go well past that. Of course they are, because there's demand here. Now we can debate whether or not it's a good idea, and I think certainly they're going, the league's going to stretch itself pretty thin. And there's going to be issues of whether or not the talent will keep up with these number of teams. But when you have all of these cities coming at you with guys who have cash in their pockets to spend are willing to put it into soccer, want to help get those stadiums built. There may be hurdles to to jump over. Orlando's going through an issue right now. They have a team. They might have some trouble with their stadium. Again, Flavio De Silva needs to step up. Bill McGuire in Minnesota United FC may have some issues, but they'll get that done, I'm pretty sure. you got San Antonio that already has a building, so they're in play. Sacramento is going to get a stadium done pretty quickly if, if the same city government remains in power because they're all in on Sacramento being a team. We'll come back to these Don Garber quotes. Open up, open up those quotes when we get to the phones after Kyle McCarthy joins us. But again, he said, 
no promotion relegation, poured lots of cold water over that. Is that the right stance for the league to take? Why not leave open the possibility rather than squash any notion? Don't have to fulfill the promise anytime soon. But you know, I think you should at least leave open the possibility that MLS could expand to, say, 40 teams. That's a lot of teams, of course, but end up having MLS 1 and MLS 2 and still keep it closed and still have single entity. I'm not saying that's the best way to do it, but if that's the way the route they're going to go down, you still have some options there. But nope, going to close that door. He also called MLS teams local businesses, not clubs. Not sure what that means, and we can dissect that later, but that's not good from a soccer purist perspective. Chivas and Club America drew 1-1 in the Super Classico. You have to go see Paul Aguilar's goal. Fantastic, fantastic goal. Club America obviously dealing with a lot of stuff, schedule congestion with their CONCACAF Champions League second leg in Montreal coming up on Wednesday. Bayern Munich clinched the Bundesliga title with a win over Hertha Berlin and Gladbach beating Wolfsburg this weekend. And Eden Nazard is your PFA Player of the Year in England, a worthy winner if there ever was 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 one. Let's take a break. Kyle McCarthy, Fox Soccer, Inside MLS will join us. We'll go around the league. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Facing the crowd. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. It's that time of the week, the beginning of the week. Time to look at the MLS results with Kyle McCarthy from FoxSoccer.com. Inside MLS over there at Fox Soccer. Kyle J. McCarthy on Twitter. One of my favorite guests because no matter what I talk about, he's got uh, well thought out analysis. Kyle, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing well, thanks. And you know what? I'm really, really happy to talk about goals. Yes, we we did get I think a lot that's of nice goals. for a change. It is, it is. And and okay, so so I, I told you we were going to lead off with TFC, and and they got two of theirs. It was uh, Josie Outdoor scoring for the first time since week one. But but since you brought it up, um, the goals thing, because you and I have talked about how, uh, you know how how depressing some of the play has been to this point. I mean, that's a quality issue, and you could make it, you could certainly make an argument that all of these goals, a lot of them, many of them, some of them, may have been because of de- defensive liability, and that's not necessarily a quality improvement, but it is more entertaining. What, what, what accounts for the goals? Is it, is, are teams finally waking up a bit after the offseason? Is it, uh, what is it exactly? I think you have teams waking up a little bit. Uh, I think you have those defensive errors, like you said. And I think you have forwards taking the, their opportunities well. And all those factors lead to more entertainment and more excitement. And that's important because there were a lot of bad games early in the season. And it's nice to to come back off a weekend and, and talk about goals and talk about intrigue. And uh, that's something that's important for the league going forward. So I, let me come to TFC. Again, they went 2 nothing over uh, Orlando City on the road. We know that TFC started their season seven games on the road due to renovations at BMO Field. We came into this weekend with rumors swirling about Greg Vanny. I don't know how, how legitimate those rumors were, but certainly there was a thought that he was on the hot seat. Uh, this is an organization that has burned through coaches pretty rapidly over the last couple of seasons. 
they again they get a win they play relatively well i think they played some pretty classic mls road soccer but they get two goals from the guy they need to score and josie outdoor how huge for tfc was this victory look it's massive and when you look back at the week that they had uh, you needed a response from the team uh when you hear rumors about your coach getting fired uh, in the middle of a seven-game road trip, it's it's a wake-up call. And TFC responded in kind. I, I thought they were the better team uh, on Sunday. I thought they were a, a side that knew exactly what it needed to do. I thought they had a great defensive shape, which they haven't always had, considering the personnel issues. Mm-hmm. And they did exactly what needed to be done. Mm-hmm. And, and that speaks volumes about the, the quality within the ranks, even though the results haven't been there so far this yeah, year. Absolutely. We, we know they have some talent um, and should be uh, a better team than they've shown, um, and, and this is a big win for them. On the other side of things, continuing problems for Orlando City when it comes to uh, the front uh, the front end of their, of their rotation. Kaká can be as good as, as he is, and it's not going to be uh, good enough week to week if they can't get goals out of their forwards. Uh, are, are they going to find a solution? Kyle Aaron's a rookie. He scored a nice goal a couple weeks back, but they've got to have something else. You would think so. And uh, Brian Roche came on yesterday, and um, he made an impact on the game, certainly. Uh, but it was more about a discussion of whether he gets suspended next week than anything he did on the field. And uh, I think it just sort of sums up how much of a struggle it's been for Orlando City in the final third this year. And, and that's a typical expansion team struggle uh, because it's tough to go out and find a good forward. Uh, Orlando City did the hard part. They located a number 10 like Kaká, and he's been great, but uh, y- you still need someone to finish off the play. And Orlando City right now doesn't have. Is there a is there an MLS um, a quality MLS striker or a decent enough MLS striker available to them, say uh, via trade right now? Well, that's the tricky part, right? The market's really tight because of the the lack of allocation money across the league right now. So it's it's tough to it's tough to go out and say, look, we're going to get a guy and. And he's got to come in and fix it, right? It, it's a matter of, of trying to be patient, trying to get the most out of what you got, and then hoping you can scrape enough money together to, to make a decent move during the summer. Yeah. Uh, we go back to Saturday, uh, the goal fest that happened. Four teams scored four goals on Saturday. Two of them played each other, are uh, Houston and, and Sporting Kansas City. Not exactly what we usually expect out of these two teams after you know a history of creating a rivalry based on com- competing in the Eastern Conference. Now, they mo- both moved to the West, and apparently uh, we're just going to score goals all the time now. That's fine. That's fine. We'll take <laughs> it. Absolutely. And uh, it-, it was an uncharacteristic night for both teams, I would say. Uh, but when you end with a point, that that's a positive to take forward. I know uh, sporting manager Peter Vermees will-, will want his side to defend better, and I'm sure Owen Coyle is the same, but uh, that that's a that's an engaging way to to uh, spend a Saturday night. I would yeah, say yeah, certainly. Yeah, Giles Barnes scoring twice, but creating a goal for Sporting Kansas City on the other end with the bad pass, and then uh, a questionable red card. <laughs> excuse me, and handball in the box that Benny Failhaber put away. Um, just give me a give me a bit here on on Benny Failhaber and his influence on Sporting Kansas City. We're starting to hear again, just you know, low level rumblings that maybe Benny is uh, is. Performing well enough that Klinsman should give him a look. I'm not saying he deserves a call up or he'll get one, but certainly he's on that level these days. He continues to impress 
uh, as part of that sporting midfield. It hasn't been an easy road for sporting in the center of the park this year. They made a lot of changes. They're still trying to figure out the balance a little bit. Uh, but when Benny Fellhaber is good, he's really good. And he's a player who can make an influence, uh, an impact uh, in this league. And, and you saw that uh, on Saturday night. And you understand uh, some of the reasons uh, why people are pointing to him as a, a potential national team call. He's a guy who's been there. He's done it in the past. Um, but I think it's pretty clear at this point that Jurgen Klinsmann has uh, more faith in other options. Uh, come to uh, the Columbus, uh, sorry, C- Columbus Crew SC, who dropped four on Philadelphia in a four-one home win. Kai Kamara, I heard Taylor Twelve and say on the, uh, I think it was on the LA New York broadcast. My national team games are all mixed up in my head, Kyle, but I think that was the broadcast in which he was sort of identified, uh, maybe Felipe Martins, but also Kai Kamara as some of the biggest off-season off acquisitions. I don't know that you. I don't know if there's an argument against Kai right now. He was. We we thought that the crew were missing a striker and. And Kai is proving that that's what that certainly was the case. Columbus has needed a number nine for years and years and years. And Kai Kamara is filling those shoes perfectly right now uh, because he's allowing the crew to stretch the field over the top. And yet he's also supplying that aerial element that that's critical with the way that the, that crew SC pushes the fullbacks onwards and, and crosses the ball into the box. And, uh, Columbus thumped Philadelphia on Saturday. Uh, just took so much advantage of the the spaces that allowed uh, um, the the crew SC to to push forward, and it, it was a another good performance from a, from a team that continues to to move from strength to strength this year. And crew SC certainly one of those teams uh, identified as a potential Eastern Conference contender. Uh, so this kind of performance is only going to feed that. Uh, that belief and the other side of things for Philadelphia, uh, you, you know, the turmoil continues. Uh, you go on the road, maybe you uh, you're scrapping for a point, but to to lose four one in this kind of manner, and again they've had that goalkeeper drama, and, and it just doesn't seem that they can find any sort of balance in their lineup either. It's a bit of a mess in Chester right now. It seems uh, just trying to find something, anything to to slide the team back on track and. There are a lot of different issues that are going into it, but first and foremost, their management of space uh, across the board is, is messy, and and you saw that against Columbus on Saturday. They, they simply uh, concede too much space in, in the wrong areas, and they get punished, and uh, Columbus does a great job of hurting teams who are incapable of uh, transitioning from um, attack to defense, and, and the and Cruz, he really uh, put a hurt on the on the union on Sunday, Be, Saturday. Beyond the addition of the number nine, Kai Kamara, have you have you seen anything change, evolve in the way that Greg Berhalter is setting out his team, or, or are we seeing the crew of 2014, which again sort of erupted on the scene, and there was a lot of talk about how Berhalter was pushing those fullbacks up? Are we just seeing that with the now added element of a of a legitimate front level striker? Uh, there are always tweaks and amendments as you go along, but I, I think the broad strokes are similar, and I think the the addition of Kamara really enhances uh, those uh, those operations, uh, particularly in the middle of the park. So, mm-hmm. uh, for Columbus, they're a, they're a side that is very good at keeping the ball, and now they have that element so that if they need to go directly. Uh, they've got Kamara up front to to provide a, a different sort of outlet, and it's made them very potent. The other team to score four goals on Saturday: the New England Revolution, a home win over RSL four 
for nothing. Uh, just barrage of shots uh, and goals on the RSL net. And we know how much talent, we know how much attacking ability the New England Revolution have. There's still, you know, a couple of issues at the back, at least in terms of who's healthy and who's not. Jermaine Jones starts at center back again in this game. So that means Andy Dorman and Scott Caldwell in the middle. But those guys up top um, just took RSL apart. Obviously, you know, Scott Caldwell got a goal too. Let's, let's recognize that. But what was it about uh, that performance uh, for you that, that really put uh, New England so much in control against a, a quality team? I mean, whether RSL struggling with their formation and, 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 and that adjustment, they're still good players on that field. Absolutely. Uh, RSL really struggling defensively uh, with their their choices back there. Uh, a lot of availability issues after uh, Chris Schuler had, had surgery on Thursday. But uh, New England, when they're really firing, they're moving all over the place. And they're coming at you from different angles and really testing your shape. And I thought they were able to do that on, on Saturday. And uh, you look at that team and you see all of those attacking options. You see the depth that Jay Heaps has. He can really find a way to elicit the best out of his team. And you saw on Saturday how dangerous they are when they're firing on all cylinders. And it's a warning to everyone else because that's a side that, that's really capable of tearing teams apart uh, on the night. You, you know when New England is feeling good and you know uh, you know it's going well when Chris Tierney scores on with his right foot, Kyle. I was... Uh... I was impressed by it, that. It, Go ahead. It, it, it's a precious snowflake, <laughs> that, that right foot shot from Chris Tierney. And, and it, it really speaks volumes how dangerous his left is because he can get anybody to bite on his left foot yeah. at, at any time. And when you can, you know, every so often throw the knuckleball and, yeah. and get the get the right foot in the mix. And uh, he took his, his goal very well. Yeah. Uh, it was a It was a well-hit shot with that right foot. And, it sort of summed up how how good the Revs were tonight. Yeah, you have uh, you have goals by Tierney, Agadello, Davies, and Caldwell. Caldwell, after a scramble, ball calls, comes out. He finally puts away a, a, a couple after a couple of chances for New England. And I'm looking at this this lineup, Kyle. And I know this is a team that you pay uh, close attention to based on where you, where you're based and who and and your your other jobs. And and I look and I just wonder how can they. How can they find enough time for all of these guys? Um, Diego Fagundes comes on for Charlie Davies in the 62nd minute. Uh, he's, after maybe a down year last year, started to show some, some signs of improvement again. Where are, where is the, um, you know, how does the rotation work for Jay Heaps? And are they really going to be able to hang on to all of these guys, especially young ones like Fagundes who may, who may be, uh, looking to move ab- abroad? Everything is based on form, uh, with the reps and, and Jay Heaps is pretty, pretty upfront about it and says, hey, look, you, you need to be playing well or, or else we're going to make some, some changes and, and get guys in there uh, who can who can do the do the job. And uh, you've seen that at different points this year where he's been able to rotate through his attacking options, sometimes through injury, other times through choice. And uh, that helps because it keeps everybody sharp. And you look at the sort of output over the past six games, uh, they're unbeaten. Uh, mm-hmm. They've just scored four goals at home, and, and they're start, finally starting to hit that top form that they've always been looking for uh, this season. So I, I, it's working, certainly. Uh, the the question, as you said, is how long uh, you can keep those pieces in place. And, and I think it's something where the Revs have planned for that, and they've tried to to give themselves options to, to maintain this group for as long as possible. And obviously a lot of teams would love to have guys like Kellen Rowe 
and Diego Fagundes and Steve Newman on the bench uh, to, to bring in late in the game, whether you're up four goals or not. Um, but I think for the Revs, and, and, and this is true for a lot of teams, it's about the midfield, it's about defending. And I, I look at this, Woodbury, Farrell, Jones, and Tierney to start, and you have Gonsalves and Alston on the bench. Is How close to the first-choice team is this, and what kind of changes might Heaps make if everybody is healthy and 100% fit? Well, if everybody's healthy, then Jose Gonzalez is, is going to play. Uh, certainly, uh, he's he's been dealing with a calf complaint, but he he's the the linchpin back there. He's the guy who, who makes everything tick, and uh, I think he's a, an important part of what they're going to do defensively. Uh, London Woodbury's impressed uh, since he's come in the lineup. That's two good performances in a row from him. But uh, Kevin Alston's certainly going to be a guy who's going to get a lot of minutes uh, if he can stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that back four. So, uh, again, lots of options, lots of choices, and, and uh, a really enviable situation for heaps to be in, considering how everything has worked out. Well, so far. which one of those, which one of that midfield pair uh, takes a spot on the bench when, uh, when Jones moves up into the midfield, as you would imagine he would when Gonsalves is available? It, it sort of depends on the situation, uh, depends on the opposition, but usually Caldwell will get the knot over Dorman. Uh, just for, for uh, a couple of different reasons, but I think uh, both guys are going to have plenty of uh, opportunities uh, considering the way the, the early stages of the season have unfolded. Uh, let's talk about L.A. and New York, the Galaxy visiting the Red Bulls, who have been on a roll, one of the best teams in the league, if not the best team in the league on form. A 1-1 draw, uh, it took, uh, you know, it, it, it seemed as though that was a Red Bulls game to win, they end up getting a draw out of it after, after a lucky break and a bounce off the head of Felipe Martins. I, I don't know how you, they should feel about that game. Again, that wasn't L.A.'s best performance, and, and yet here they go on the road and get a point. Well, you know, we've been saying that a lot this year. L.A. not having their fastball and, and still finding a way to get a, a result. And that's that's what champions do. Mm-hmm. They find a way to, to muddle through, even though uh, they don't have Robbie Keane and they don't have their best stuff. And it's a good lesson uh, for the Red Bulls uh, because they're still unbeaten. Uh, they're still uh, playing well. I thought they were okay uh, on Sunday. And and that's that's important going forward uh, for them. And, and when you look at the Red Bulls, I, I think you need a little bit of luck sometimes to, to get through uh, when you don't have that sharpness in the final third. And, and they were able to get it. With uh, with Robbie Keane unavailable, with uh, without Jose Villarreal apparently uh, ready to go, Bradford Jameson's gotten a couple of starts, and he obviously impressed with that goal he scored against LA yesterday, but or against New York yesterday. But uh, you know, I, again, I mean, it's one of these things. He's 18 years old. People want to jump quickly on a bandwagon and, and push him maybe farther than he's ready to go. Bruce Arena trying to pull people back. Is is Bruce kind of playing both sides of this? If he's going to give Jamison time and Jamison's capable of scoring these goals, it, it's going to be hard for him to stop a hype train that's built on how the kid's performing. Look, you can't stop a hype train when the American soccer community gets started. <laughs> I, I, think I, I, that, I think that's pretty clear by now, right? <laughs> uh, what I'll say about Jamison is that, yes, Bruce is kind of having it both ways by putting him in the lineup. But he's also putting him in spots where he can succeed. And Jameson at this point is not the finished product. But if you put him in space, he can do good things. And you saw that against the Red Bulls on Sunday. 
Uh, he's a work in progress. Uh, we'll have to wait and see, but uh, certainly that goal on Sunday it was one to cherish. Well, it, it's it, can you just give uh, for people who have uh, are obviously waiting for LA not only to bring in Steven Gerrard later in the summer, but waiting for them to get a healthy Robbie Keane back into this team because he's been so influential. He is the MVP. Uh, what the difference in in LA's playing style is with Keane in the lineup, uh, and they're still adjusting to life without Landon Donovan, but without Keane in the lineup and and with say Alan Gordon taking his spot or taking a spot up top. Well, it's it's a couple of things, right? You're looking to play a little bit more directly because the strength of your guys uh, without Keane is that ability to take people one-on-one. When you look at Jossie Sardis, when you look at Jamison, even when you look at Jose Villarreal when he's in the lineup, you, you want to give those guys opportunities to, to cut it at different angles and, and really challenge uh, defenders. Uh, on the other side, you also have that, that aerial element with, with a guy like Alan Gordon in there, and you've got Stefan Shizaki, who serves a great ball from the right, so he wasn't particularly good yesterday. Um, so it, it's really a mix of things, and, and that, that possession under, underlies everything, which you need, you know, in the center of the park. And uh, when you look at it, it's tough because Robbie Keane is the guy who strings everything together. He mm. drops off the line, he check back in the midfield, help with possession, and then find ways to, to get people through and, and provide that outlet. So without him, it really strips away that, that central piece of everything they're trying to do. And uh, you can tell it gets a little bit disjointed at times. Uh, we've got a couple of games from Friday. Chicago beating New York City FC one nothing uh, in Bridgeview. Chicago th- Three wins in a row now, um, Kyle. And, uh, yeah, I mean, NYCFC has gone through, through some struggles. David Villa has been missing. Um, they're an expansion team, so you take that uh, you take that for what it's worth. But Chicago's improved mightily since the beginning of the season. Is this a team that can, you know, they're not going to keep winning. Uh, they're going to win every game from here on out. But do they have enough in the tank? Do they have enough talent there? Have they figured out enough how to play together to be a playoff contender? It, it certainly looks like it right now. And I think the first thing uh, Frank Gallup is going to do this morning uh, is set up a season ticket for Avram Grant because David Akam was fantastic on Friday. Mm -hmm. Just awesome. And when you have a guy like David Akam who who is that quick and that willing to challenge defenders, it's going to make you a a dangerous team. And I think uh, for the fire, you, you see the benefits of getting everybody in place and, and having a chance to, to really go with your best guys. And, uh, it, it's been a, it's been a good, uh, good run for the fire, even though they had that really awkward, uh, leap, uh, w- with the scheduling issues that mm-hmm. they've encountered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just sitting on the sideline for quite some time, uh, getting a win over New York City FC. On the other side of things for Jason Christ and company, Again, no David Villa. Uh, that's got to be concerning for the fans. If this is, you know, it doesn't seem, it, 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 there's, there's no, no reports that this is a, is one of those injuries going to keep him out for months. It's what's a chronic thing that pops up every now and then. And those, those seem to derail, uh, designated players, especially guys, you know, over 30 more often than, uh, than some debilitating knee injury. Uh, is this going to be something that lingers for them throughout the season, you think? Or, is I mean we don't know what Devin Villa's health is going to be, but if he's not in the lineup, that's a different team. It's it's a different team and it's a much worse team. Uh, NYCFC did not look good on Friday. Uh, they don't generally look good without Devin Villa, and they don't have the defensive. St- 
strength right now to, to cope if they're not getting enough goals up front. And, and that's just the bottom line with it. They, they, they did not do a particularly good job with that year uh, of constructing a, a back four. Uh, there's not a lot of depth there. There are a lot of guys who are playing one station above where they should at this point, and it, it shows. And for NYCFC, they, they, they need to figure things out because if the VV is going to miss time, they're going to have to construct some sort of alternate plan to, to make sure that they're creating enough chances, at least until Frank Lampard arrives and then then, of course, the, the calculus changes a little bit. Yeah, certainly that does. I mean, you, you, you can't put your season on hold, and you can't just wait around for, for, for Frank Lampard to show up. You have to try to win as many games as possible ahead of that. But it, does, it is going to change things significantly for Jason Christ. And again, you know, you got to get Dave, David Villa healthy. You've got to figure out a way to get him playing more often than not. Uh, Nemich has not been... Uh, has not been good. Is there any other way to say that, Kyle? And they, they don't really have anybody else sitting on the bench ready to go. I mean, they didn't they didn't dress another fo- out and out forward during this game in Chicago. Yeah, I think Kyrie Shelton's been okay uh, for them in his rookie year. A guy who's uh, shown some flashes, uh, but again, it's the same thing uh, that Orlando City is doing. You can't rely on rookies to be the guy. You, you need. You need someone to step up and really uh, you know, take a, a supporting role in that um, in, the, in that attacking third. And, and we know New York City FC is going to keep the ball. Uh, they've done that very well this year. Uh, but it hasn't come to a lot of effect. So uh, the key for, for NYCFC is, is to really start to use that possession well and, and find ways to, to produce goals and that that's not happening right now. Uh, I'm bouncing around a bit. I got three more games very quickly. Uh, I apologize for everybody who thinks I'm giving them short shrift. Didn't mean to at all. Let let me go to DC, who gets a win on the road over Vancouver. Chris Rolf with the with the winning goal, very nicely done. Uh, Fabian Espindola back in this team, and he is such a disruptive force. Kyle, he is uh, so dangerous, or he may at least he presents the the <laughs> the possibility of danger. He was the club MVP last year. How much does he change? How attacking, uh, how how good attacking wise, DC United can be, and how does that complement everything else that they do well, which has them right now on uh, tied for the best points per game uh, rate in the league. Espindola is a transformative player for DC United. He adds that little bit of magic, that relentlessness in the in the final third, and they're a much better team with him in it. And I think you saw that on Saturday. And I think you saw the experience come to the fore because it's really difficult to go to BC Place and get a result, uh, especially for an East Coast team making that long track. And mm-hmm. United, with all that veteran savvy, was able to go out and get the job done. Uh, we also got uh, Colorado and Dallas from Friday. I'll touch on that one briefly. It's a 1-1 draw. Um, I don't know what to say about this game. I didn't get to see much of it, Kyle, but it, it certainly seems that Dallas has taken a – a bit of a step back since starting off very strongly. And Colorado finally figured out how to score some goals. They may not be a playoff team in the end, but they, at least they're showing signs of life. There are signs of life uh, for Colorado. I think they've they've managed to put together decent spells uh, at certain points in the game, but and they're never truly convincing as a, a team that's going to go out for 90 minutes and, and really play off the park quite yet, unless you're in Frisco and... You know, it's 95 degrees. A, yeah. <laughs> a, a weird game. Yeah. So, 
uh, you, you had you had Blas Perez with a red card. Certainly that helped Colorado uh, get back into the game, score the equalizer from uh, Nick LaBrocca. So uh, a, a, a decent result for, for FC Dallas, all things considered, with Blas Perez and the red card. I haven't seen that incident uh, close up. I don't even really – I've seen replays of it, Kyle. I don't know if you've had a look at this. Is is uh, is Blas Perez going to be looking at a longer suspension, or is that just uh, maybe we'll just get past this? And because FC Dallas is a different team without Blas Perez, absolutely. And I was rewinding back and forth uh, on Friday night. I couldn't find a decent angle of yeah. that of that, and I don't know if there's one that exists. Um, I'd certainly be interested in seeing it because FC Dallas needs Blas Perez. He's he's a key figure for them up front, and uh, he's an important piece of what they need to do. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how the league deals with that, particularly with, you know, at least at the outset, uh, some questions about the vis- visual evidence available. All that speed on the outside and, and whipping and crosses, Blas Perez's head is a, a great weapon for FC Dallas, and they'll miss him uh, if, at least for one game. We'll see if it's longer. Finally, uh, uh, Seattle gets a one nothing win over Portland up at uh, Century League Field. The Cascadia Derby match. Um, I don't know what to say about this this game. It didn't provide much entertainment for about three quarters of it. It finally picked up in about the 80th minute, I suppose, Kyle, when uh, Seattle scored and, and Portland put together some chances. Did that game tell us anything about either one of those teams? It tells us that Seattle is still an opportunistic team, even when they're not firing at all cylinders. Uh, it was not a good game uh, by any stretch. It wasn't an entertaining game for most of it. Uh, but Seattle kept plugging. Uh, they, they made it difficult for, for Portland uh, to, to to really let loose. I mean, I thought I think the Timbers were were okay after the break. I thought they created some chances in the break. But uh, when you have that sort of situation where you're in a in a long throw setup and Timbers let the ball bounce and all of a sudden Clint Dempsey's got it in the back of the net and uh, that that's part of the benefit of being uh, Sounders because sometimes you can just rely on your stars to pop up at the right mm-hmm. time and, and snatch you the three points. Now you can't let the ball bounce at CenturyLink. We know uh, it, the ball's always bouncing at CenturyLink. That's a different thing for a different day. I don't want to go on a rant. Um, before I let you go, Kyle, there's been a, a bit of um, discussion on Twitter and a couple other places that Montreal heading into their Champions League final second leg against Club America with Evan Bush uh, suspended by a, via a red card last week that they were looking for a, a enter and inside the league loan to cover their goalkeeper deficit. And first it was Sean Johnson. I've heard Stefan Fry's name linked to this. The notion that Montreal could potentially get a keeper on loan from an MLS team for a one-off situation in the Champions League sounds ridiculous to me. Now I think the league has put the, the has squashed this this notion. But why was this even a discussion at all? Uh, it's a good question. I don't know. It, it would have been a farce if it happened. Uh, I, I, I just can't even comprehend that that would be uh, considered all right by really anyone involved. Uh, but if you're Montreal, you have the responsibility to do your diligence and do everything you possibly can mm-hmm. to put yourselves in a in a good position. And uh, Evan Bush picking up that second yellow card really uh, hurts the impact because they have some goalkeeping depth issues with, with Eric Kronberg cup-tied and mm-hmm. Maxime Propo coming back from injury and John Smith's on loan from FC Edmonton. I I, I don't blame the impact right. for exploring all those options, 
But it's kind of a farce that it got to the point that it did, wasn't it? I, I think so. But at the same time, you said you can't imagine it would be uh, you know, it would be seen as all right by anybody involved. And yet this is MLS, and we kind of go, well, you know, stranger things have happened. When you look at the actors involved, you can totally understand why Montreal <laughs> looked at the situation and thought, hmm, maybe we can do something here. But yeah. I think sanity it will prevail in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was, it was kind of kind of weird to watch that track through. And I, and I know my colleagues at Fox Sports 1 were, were all over it yesterday trying to, to make sure that uh, – we had everything sorted out. Yep. Kyle McCarthy from Fox Sports, foxsoccer.com, inside MLS. Kyle J. McCarthy on Twitter. Fantastic guest every time he joins us to talk some MLS. Kyle, I'm going to let you go, but thank you very much. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, there goes Kyle McCarthy. If you're not following Kyle McCarthy, I don't know what's wrong with you. Stay tuned. Be right back. We'll open those phone lines. We'll talk about some of those comments from Don Garber about the state of the league, the growth of the league. Promotion relegations all on the table. Don't go anywhere. Soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. To Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go. Phone lines now open 646-832-3909. Continue the discussion about MLS. Talk about Don Garber's comments from Friday uh, via his roundtable with a bunch of reporter types. I was not involved in that. You know, I don't know where my status is. Just a you know a little pullback here. I write for ESPN. I write a column for U.S. soccer players. Do a lot of writing. I'm not sure I, you know, I'm not sure I'm in that club. Not, I I know I wasn't. I wasn't invited to that particular event. But I'm just saying, like in general, if there is some sort of press conference call or conference call and involves Don Garb, it's not that I don't want to be involved. Well, maybe that's what it is more than anything else. Not want. I just feel like we're living in this world now where. If you want that information, it's going to be on Twitter two seconds after he says it. And sometimes they even stream these things live. So what's the what's the point of, of dialing in? Maybe it's just says that I know, I trust that, that those guys out there who report on the league day to day are going, first of all, there's a hierarchy. Obviously, there's a hierarchy. If you're Sports Illustrated, if you're ESPN, not me, the other ESPN guys, the guys, the guys that do the hard work, Jeff Carlisle, uh, Doug McIntyre, those guys, you're getting in, you're getting a question. I trust those guys to ask the big questions, the ones I would want to know. In this case, we've got Don Garber talking about expansion, talking about plans to go past 24 teams. This piece is from, this is from the AP over at foxsoccer.com. In the next six months, we've got to come together and develop a plan with our ownership to determine when we go further because we will. We will expand this league beyond 24 teams. All right, sorry, this is specific. This 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 conference call was specifically with Associated Press, so a little different than the the open ones that he does sometimes. It's not an if; it's a when. Now, remember, this was 
It wasn't that long ago that MLS said, oh, 24 is our target. We're going we're gonna to pause at 24. They're not going to pause at 24. I think that became pretty clear pretty quickly. They're going to go zooming past 24. MLS says cities expressing interest include Austin, Sacramento, St. Louis, San Antonio, and to a lesser extent, El Paso, Indianapolis, and Las Vegas. Find that interesting for a couple of reasons. San Antonio and, and Indianapolis, both on the NASL roster at the moment. Their potential moves to MLS, if they move to MLS, would damage that league further. Because that is that relates to what Don Garber then said later on about managing a bigger league and not doing promotion and relegation. He said, there's no developed second division. And that's, a, that's part of the reason that there won't be pro-rel. How can the second division develop if MLS is poaching all of the second division teams? But then we open up a question of whether or not the, it's fair to prevent those second division teams and a system that does not allow for pro-rel to move up if they want to, to buy into MLS a la Minnesota United FC. These are not easy issues that, that American soccer is dealing with. And I'm not going to just sit here and say, oh, it's all on NESL to get their house in order. To get, to get things together and, and create a very strong second division so that we can have pro rel. Because look, I would love for it to happen. I want it to happen one day. I do. But I'm not going to put the, the, the onus clearly, solely on NESL when MLS is doing what they're doing. I've written this before. For MLS to say, there's no, second, there's no strong enough second division for us to consider promotion and relegation. We know that's not the only reason. It's also about the business model and how they like to run things and how they like to protect their interests. But if they're going to identify the lack of a developed second division as part of the problem, then I'm going to call them out for poaching second division teams. And I'm not saying, I don't know what the full build out of MLS is. I'm not even sure I'm, I know, I'm not sure if I, I know what I want it to be. Considering these factors, do I want a 32 team league? Ah, man. I guess a 32 team league divided into separate conferences. You don't play cross conference games, you play within your conference 30 games. Then the playoff teams from each conference go into a combined playoff tournament. I guess. I don't know. I mean, it's fun to think about, but it's also a little maddening to think about. It's a little maddening because as MLS continues to grow and grow and grow, which is nominally good for American soccer on some level, on the highest level, television contracts, publicity, marketing, the biggest cities having teams. While that's happening, there's also that effect on the second division and the third division. And we know that, that MLS has already effectively appropriated USL. I mean, there's some good independent teams in, in USL. There are. But MLS, by virtue of putting their reserve league down there, has, a, has effectively appropriated that league. It's no longer an independent, separate entity that can create, it, create its own distinct personality with its own distinct clubs. 
because you can't. You're not going to just have Richmond kickers. Now you got the Richmond kickers playing the DC or playing um, the Seattle Sounders reserves, whoever they're going to play. Washington's on the air. What's up, Washington? Hey, what's up, Jason? How's it going? Um, I just want to touch upon this this comment Don Garber made about the expansion. Every time they talk about expansion, now I start to cringe because I start to get worried. Cause, and, and, and I know that there's a lot of you know uh, safety checks in play, but I know that that was the beginning of the end of the old NASL was yeah. hey soccer's hot let's let's expand let's expand and then that you know that was like I said that was the beginning of the end and I know there's much more infrastructure today there much more safety checks um, my I guess my question is when expansion to when you know um, if we look at the big four uh, NFL has 32 teams MLB has 30 NBA has 30 and NHL has 30. Mm. If he stays somewhere around there, you know, because there's a standard already, I'm okay. But if he goes anywhere beyond that, I, I'm going to get really, really worried. What do you think? Um, you know, obviously there's a couple of things here, and we've talked about this. If you're going to expand that much and do it this rapidly, I mean, let's let's remember that MLS was it, it was only it was only a decade, thirteen years ago that MLS killed two teams. So right. and and they were at ten at that point. You know, it, it took a little while to, to crawl back to the original number. Then they just went on this rapid expansion push. I mean, TFC has been in this league for eight years now. Is this their eighth mm-hmm. season or ninth season? And they don't feel new anymore. And part of that is because there have been so many teams added since then. And now, you know, you, you, you wonder how the money is going to be a part of this and whether or not MLS can get by on a salary budget of $4 million per team with 30 teams and how you're going to be able to find enough talent to fill out these teams. And I don't just mean American talent, which you're obviously stretching way thinner than it, than it's been stretched before. I mean, international talent. You're going to have to put some more money into the system because you're grabbing more international players now. It's not, it's not back in the days when there were 12 teams and, oh, we've got some, some great South, South American players and we're paying them all $300,000 a year. You're going to have to do more of that. You're going to have to find more Europeans willing to come over here at 25, 26 years old that are of a better quality than MLS has typically gotten because now they're replacing, now not replacing, but now they're filling spots that used to be held by American players, and you can't just bring up a bunch of players from the lower divisions and expect to have the same level. So MLS has an issue here with quality in in opposition to their expansion, Washington. So, but And I'm, I'm with you. Like If you go past... 30 teams, which is a big number. 30 is a big number. It is. If you go past 30 teams, what is the end game? And the reason, I I mean, obviously MLS is not a position. This is, I mean, there's basic business principles here. You're not going to say, if you're MLS, you're Don Garber, you're not going to go out in public and say, well, our goal is 30 teams. Our goal is 32 teams. Our goal is 34 teams. And then we're going to stop. And you're not going to put a hard cap on it because that then that starts to limit the possibilities that start to limit demand. Now you don't have as many cities coming after franchises. And the more cities that come after franchises, the higher those expansion fees go. That's basic supply and, and demand. And that brings me to the next point. Just like you said, he should not put a cap to it, right? And I agree with you. Maybe in, maybe in indoors, he's saying, listen, we're going to shoot for 30 and stay there, but don't make it public, right? I feel the same way when he makes comments about pro-rel. Whatever he feels, he should keep that to himself. Every single time he says, no, we're never going to have pro-rel, we're never going to have pro-rel, I think he shoots himself in the foot. Yeah. Just shut up about it. Well, I, I think that there's a bit of, clearly there's a bit of hostility on the part of the league. That this is an issue that they have to deal with over and over again. Now, I, I think they should expect that 
This is soccer. The rest of the world does ProRel. You should expect that ProRel is going to come up. But And I think this is a bad look. This is a bad look for MLS when Don Garber's, and I don't have this audio, and I, need, I suppose I need to listen to it for context because that always changes here. But when he right. says things like, it's not going to happen, that, again, that is, it sounds churlish. It sounds... It's not in our... You, you, know, you, you have to say things like, it's not in our plans, we're not right. ready for it yet, not right, right now. Right. But to say never, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot eventually. Right. I mean, and, and he doesn't actually use the words never. Here's the quote. I believe we can expand and manage the league far larger than we have today uh, without having to comp- contemplate pro- promotion and relegation. I will certainly tell you that in the near term, and that near term is a long time from now, so he's not even talking near term, he's talking long term, there's not going to be promotion and relegation. It makes absolutely no sense. There is not a developed secondary division. We have union agreements, we have national television deals, we have investors that have put in billions of dollars. It is not going to be something that could be managed anytime soon. Now, Remember that Don Garber is effectively the mouthpiece of the owners, okay? This may be his opinion on some level, but essentially what he is giving you is the distilled thoughts of those 20 guys that are currently bought in. And they don't, they obviously don't want this. And why would any businessman want it? So right, that's right. what I'm getting here. And again, I think that there's but, a but while he's ne- while he's never while that that quote doesn't use the word the term never and you're right he hasn't used the word never but he I have heard him say that they will not be pro rel during his tenure yes as long as he's commissioner he yes. won't have pro rel I think when he makes that comment he's shooting himself in the foot I I think that I think that he is closing doors that don't need to be closed um, exactly because because even if you do not even if MLS doesn't believe that ProRel is in the f- is coming in the future and any time in the near future or long term or whatever. Even if MLS doesn't want ProRel as an organization and the owners as a board of governors who are bought in and are paying everybody's salary and it's a shared thing, even if they don't want ProRel, what you do when you allow it to be a possibility is you there that that brings attention to to the league that might not otherwise be there. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's just another brick in the uh, in the wall that is discussion around MLS and American soccer, and why would you limit exactly. yourself? Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, I you know exactly. I may have issues with some of the proponents of, of ProRel in this country and how they go about pushing their agenda, but I don't. I, I'm that's not that, that doesn't mean that I don't agree that ProRel should be on the table. I, I absolutely exactly. should be on the table. Washington, you got anything else, man? No, my man. Thank you uh, very much. Take care. Uh, get in six four six eight three two thirty nine. Zero nine, you guys are a little sleepy on a Monday morning. That's okay. I get it. We're all waking up. We're all getting into our routines. I got, I got to the studio just a little bit later than I usually like to. I have a routine and I got a coffee and, and, uh, setting everything up. And I just don't want to be rushed here. So maybe that's where you guys are. It's, uh, it's 11 o'clock on the East Coast though. You should be, you should be, you should be going. You should be working here. You should be getting in. 646-832-3909. Now, Garber also addressed specifically the issues of Miami. Uh, he did say that, uh, essentially, he said that Miami's going to come at some point. Um, he said, Miami will be in Major League Soccer by the end of the decade. Now, that's, yeah, four years left, five years left in the end of the decade. Not quite. We had two mayors push us to waterfront locations, and then we were not able to finalize a deal on those sites. Now, we've, now we've got to say, are there other downtown urban locations that might make sense for us? And we believe there are several, and that's what we've been working on. 
they're going to they're going to go to Miami or they're going to do everything they can to keep that possibility at least on life support because it's because it's David Beckham because it's David Beckham and I I believe that the at no point will you hear MLS say that Miami is dead. He also went on to say that Sacramento will eventually get in because hey they've built something pretty major over uh, in Northern California. Guillermo was uh, is on the line. What's up, Guillermo? Good morning from Northern California. In fact, hey, um, good point on this whole uh, program not happening in his tenure, but, you know, he is not going to be there forever. Um, and two, uh, could not um, the, anybody in the lower division sue MLS on the basis of a monopoly, given that they have the connection to FIFA? Uh, in the, um, I mean, I'm not saying that they're winning, but could they, could they sue? Um, you know, I think that may have been part of the original Frazier versus MLS argument from the players uh, and their lawsuit against the league. I think that the league is pretty protected on that front, Guillermo. I don't, I don't know that that's, and we'd have to get a lawyer on the air. I believe it's been, it's been proposed before that argument. I just don't know that, that anybody has the resources and the time to go really in on MLS and challenge that after, again, after Frazier versus MLS essentially allowed MLS to continue to operate the way that they were. This the, the the monopoly question, the antitrust question, I'm just not up to date enough on it. I mean, I think, again, there seems to be some cracks there, and certainly some of the actions of MLS over the past five or six years have given more ammunition to the people who might challenge the league's monopoly, if you want to call it that. But they also have the argument that, hey, there's 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 foreign leagues and everything else, and we're not, I mean... What monopoly are they holding? I mean, sanctioning of a top division well, is standard. As, as, as a league, right? They're, they're the only ones that, that have the uh, you know the pipeline to to the official world soccer, right? As, as a professional league, you can make the argument that they they are um, acting as a, as a trust that blocks them access to the world market, right? It's not not about the other leagues that are in the world, but in America, right? They well, are like a funnel. Yeah. I, again, I think that the structure as it exists, uh, you know, it's become. To this point, it is so entrenched that I don't know that, that you could win that argument. I, I don't know. You got anything else? Well, Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, you know, I watched uh, the the action this weekend. I, I thought that all the goals um, were great, especially because they're being scored by young young players. That means that the development, even though whatever we may say, it's actually working in the field. They're they're scoring and they're they're picking up the speed. I also caught the USL game. Um, the um, excuse me, the reserves for the Whitecaps and. Uh, uh-huh. The idol. That was a pretty amazing game, and I'm looking. My, my, the, all, I always look at the stands, right? Because it's you know it's third division. They seem to be getting 500, 600 people to the to the field, and that's not bad. Yeah, I don't know what the targets are. I mean, I, I you know USL uh, was previously before the split, uh, the second division, and that was the target. There was more like five thousand. Uh, I again, I don't know what these what the targets are, especially for those reserve teams. I mean, if you're playing. If you're playing in an auxiliary location with your second team and they've got a, you know, they, they've got a, a, another reserve team coming in, you really, you don't expect to draw a lot. But I don't know, again, this is, this is, and this is what I meant by USL being, being appropriated, being co-opted by MLS. That's essentially what's happened here. Is that good for the future of American soccer? I don't really want to get into that necessarily right now. You got anything else, Guillermo? <laughs> That's good, man. You have a great week. All right. We also uh, thanks for the call. We also got a bunch of stuff happening in uh, in NASL as well. Um, Atlanta and the Cosmos played a goalless draw, so nothing there. Indianapolis and the and the Railhawks played a one one draw this weekend. Tampa Bay took down uh, Jacksonville, so the Rowdies get a a win in a Florida matchup. 
Uh, Minnesota United and San Antonio drew 2-2. And uh, I think uh, previous, uh, sorry, at, uh, Fort Lauderdale taking down Ottawa uh, 3-1. All right, let's go to Ray in Milwaukee. He wants to talk about Don Garber as well. What's up, Ray? Hey, what's up? Uh, I uh, I think that uh, the model that they're trying to emulate the most is Major League Baseball type model. And I do believe that uh, the local broadcasting rights is going to be the biggest push of new money coming into the league. And I truly believe that it's going to be over a 30-team league as soon as he can get it. Yeah, you know, again, I don't know that I'm fundamentally opposed to a league that's bigger than 30 teams. I mean, it's a gigantic country. There's lots of uh, places that want soccer. I think it's very difficult to sell second division soccer to American sports fans. I don't mean soccer fans. I mean sports fans. Some places have better luck than other places, but I think that you know when we what we see in Sacramento is people going out to support their team because there's a promise that maybe one day they're going to be in MLS. That that's true in a lot of places. I think that a bigger league than 30 teams the, the biggest issue for me is just how you manage that, what you do with it, how how it operates. Right now I don't like the fact that 12 teams make the playoffs. Right now I don't like the fact that we don't have a balanced schedule. Because while I'm not, I don't think that that's not necessarily has to be a soccer thing that you play a balanced schedule. It just would help me. It would allow me to better understand who's good and who's not. Um, so when you go past 30 teams, Ray, what do you do? Again, do you do two divisions and you play everybody in your division twice and that and, and you don't cross over until the playoffs? Uh, I, I, no, I think you're going to have interaction because you want the Los Angeles playing New York during the regular season. Well, but then again, again, so, uh, that 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 kills any notion of a balanced schedule. Which, again, I, I maybe it's just because I I do like symmetry. I do like things to be even. Uh, I I I want them to get to a point where they can go back to some sort of balanced schedule. It's it's obviously already done in terms of the entire league. You're, you once you move past twenty, you can't have a balanced schedule. Where everybody plays everybody home and away, you just can't do it. Which is what we've we've clearly got a situation where they're not doing that now. And I think that they they eliminated the possibility of a balanced schedule because they knew they were going to be moving past twenty and it would never be possible again. But so that's I guess for me it's a pipe dream to have thirty two teams, sixteen in each division. You play thirty games in your division, especially considering how how com how congested the schedule is already with thirty four games. I, I don't know. Go ahead. Yeah, and then uh, as for uh, promotion and relegation, I do believe that's not that it's never going to happen. I yeah. think that you're going to see a minor league system set up that's already it's already putting in play a lot of these guys with these uh, LA two and uh, Seattle, and so I think that's the model that MLS is going to use as a feeder system into uh, well, developing talent. Okay, but the problem with that idea, and I don't know that it's necessarily the wrong. A thought, Ray, is that you're always going to have a league like NASL who has independently minded people who want to put money into the game and think they can do it better or think they can think that their model is is more appropriate. And I that's clearly I mean, you can call them a a a rebel league or a rogue league if you want to, but I'm not even sure that's the right terminology. They just have a different philosophy about it. And as long as the NASL and MLS are going tete a tete, and yeah, right now MLS has a massive advantage, but you never know. As long as NASL is is you know going up against MLS and so on some front, that's that can't be good for American soccer. Well, I, I personally believe that the NASL either uh, is going to fold or it's going to uh, 
that current teams are going to be bought into the. Uh, it's going to be like a merger, like with the ABA, uh, with the NBA, we'll see. and we'll and see the about ABA, that. you know they, they only took a handful of teams. Yeah. I think that's what the future is. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to make anybody mad at the NASL. Uh, you know, it's a quality league, but yeah. I think that's if you look at in sports landscape history, anytime there's been two rivalry markets, some sort of merger has come up uh, from it. Yeah. All right. Well, appreciate the phone call, Ray. Thanks a lot. You just don't want to end up being the, the you just don't want to end up being the spirit of St. Louis, the Kentucky Colonels, when that merger comes. And that's some old school American uh, sports history for you guys. Al in Missouri wants to talk about Senior Galati in all of this. How how you doing, Al? I'm doing good. What's it seems what's his role? Because it seems as though he's a figurehead and and I figure, you know, why doesn't he um do something with this with the NLS, NASL and USL pro situation and everything else? What do you and mean what do you mean what do you mean by that? I mean look, I I, I think that we look out well, we, I mean, Go ahead. You know, we're still there arguing about promotion and relegation. Everybody wants it. I wouldn't mind having promotion and relegation. I think it'd be good here. You know, you know, but it's not going to happen. So, what he could do is, that, you know, maybe have some ideas. You know, you know, with he could put forth and everything else. You know, I don't know if you know this guy's name is Derek uh, Rich Richie, uh, who used to um, he escaped from the red card, and you know, after you know, going recently to his YouTube posts and everything else, I thought he put up a pretty good idea of what what the um, MLS may have, you know, within the next couple of years, you know, and I'm hoping that, you know, that the U.S. Soccer Federation will, will kind of step in and do something about the situation. Cause, you know, they don't have the power. The Benjamin so- Al, they, Al, they don't, they, Al, they don't have the power. U.S. soccer doesn't have the power in the situation. Now, they are the governing body of soccer in, in the United States, and – on paper, you would say, okay, well, they've got to sanction MLS as, as first division. They've got to sanction NASL. They've got to sanction USL. They've got to run all of these, uh, you know, youth programs and the national teams and all these things. And you look at it and you go, okay, well, they should have a say in this. And they shouldn't, certainly should. And I think they have a seat at the table. But you're talking about a situation where because of the checkered history of American soccer and how much money has been lost and how many times we failed at this, the people with the power are the ones spending the money, and that's not U.S. soccer. So they can make all the de- declarations they want. It's not going to matter in the end. And I think Sunil Gladi knows that. This is the same attitude he has about being on the FIFA executive committee. He would rather work on the committee trying to change it from the inside than come out and make a bunch of noise and talk to the press and call out people that, uh, for scandal because that's ultimately not going to get him anywhere. He's only going to be ostracized and pushed to the margins. That's the case with MLS. That's the case with the structure of American soccer. The people with the power, it's not Don Garber necessarily, but it is Don Garber's bosses. They're the ones in charge here. True. That's very true. All right. I've got to let well, you go. League... Go ahead. Okay. I'll let you finish, Al. Go ahead. Hopefully the league, you know, goes to stay at between between twenty eight and thirty teams because if you go beyond thirty teams, you know, you're gonna really, really um cause a lot of havoc, I think. Okay. I mean again it's it's it it sounds unwieldy. Garber is making claims that he thinks that they can handle it. I, I, again, I think it depends on the how you structure this. And they're not going to you know, you, you could imagine one day 
This is not impossible to imagine. A 40-team MLS, 20 teams in two leagues, and you create a two-division a two system, and you have movement between those two divisions. I just don't know how we get there because it's, it's going to be so difficult. It's, it's, it's going to be so painful to put that in place that I just don't know how it happens. Tim in Brooklyn, what's going on? Hey, Jason. Uh, first, uh, congratulations on uh, Sirius. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, my comments are, uh, one, people, do not molest Raul. <laughs> no pitch invasions, please. We would like to keep him intact. And uh, for anyone who wasn't uh, watching uh, NESL, try, uh, try and check out the uh, um, uh, uh, San Antonio uh, goal, 60-yard goal from yeah. a free kick. Yeah. Caught the uh, goalkeeper um, out of his box. It was just a, he dropped a bomb on him. It was a cannon. Well, like, we had, we've had some really – we've had some pretty insane long-distance goals. At, uh, Indy, Indy 11 had a, what, 45-yard goal? Last week, and now you got the sixty-yard free yeah. kick. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I, these are impressive goals, and I'm not taking any way thing. Well, I am. I am going to actually. They're impressive goals, but what the hell, goalkeepers? Come on, that's just that's pathetic. Yeah. <laughs> Go yeah. ahead. Hey, with um, the pro rel and everything, uh, I love the talk going on. One thing I would like to point out is that I think there's like two hundred, maybe cities larger than. Uh, Real Salt Lake's market, yeah, or say Portland, yeah, and as long as the only way that they see that they can get into the quote-unquote top league from the, I'd rather say other leagues, uh, is to give a hundred million. Then why? How, how do they grow? Why would people? You know, go to these "quote unquote" lower leagues if if there's if there's no sense that they can go anywhere. So in the end, uh, U.S. Soccer Federation and and MLS and how this is set up is is hurting uh, well, well, soccer. Wait, wait, wait in wait, the country. Wait, wait, hold on, Tim. Uh, we have, and I know. Look. I, However you feel about minor league baseball, we have a lot of minor league baseball teams in this country. Not all of them do well. Some of them struggle. But we have these teams that aren't going anywhere. They can't go to the major leagues. They're stuck in AAA, AA, single A, whatever it is. Some of them draw, you know, 10,000 people a game. They do pretty well. Now, it's all families and stuff, and that's, that is what it is. But we don't have, we don't have those people clamoring for an opportunity to go to the, t the top division. Is it just because it's soccer? We, we, we have a, some sort of exceptional notion of what soccer is supposed to be because that's what everybody else has done since, uh, the game started in the 1860s? Uh, there could be, uh, some of it, but I think there's a ton of cities, uh, obviously that, you know, could come up, not, you know, 200, but, uh, I would say all of the NESL teams are potential moves up. There's, I don't think there's anyone that's really, you know, uh, a bad idea. Maybe they need, you know, some work. Uh, everyone needs, well, there's, there's teams all over the place that need, uh, stadiums. Uh, there's, uh, MLS teams that need stadiums. There's MLS teams that just got stadiums and, we can see, you know, what kind, you know, how that helps, and a lot of this has to do with uh, your ability. Your ability to get a stadium partially is based on 
people's perceptions that you need to be MLS or going sure. to MLS, yeah. okay. or we're not going to give it to you. Right. Uh, the, the, so it the, really it's 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 hamstringing development uh, to a point. Of course and, it is. Of, of course know, it is. But, but something needs to happen. But but I don't know that I don't know that these things are all as mutually exclusive as we might believe them to be that it, because we don't have pro rel it doesn't promote teams to go out and and build themselves up and and try you know I, again the well, the conditions I, I think that's why someone needs to step up and and establish a long-term plan because it doesn't even people forget that there's different types of promotion and relegation sure there's right Various types in South America, it doesn't have to be a three up, three down right. every year. Right. Put right. restrictions. Right. If you don't have the fan base or a stadium, you don't go up. Yeah. If 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 you're in the top league and you're just doing crap well, I, well, like, I, look, I, like I'll, Chivas was, I'll tell you, you guys go down, but you don't cancel a team. Sure. Tim, I, well, I'll, I'll say this. As long as MLS is in an expansion period, as long as they are in expansion mode, it's not going to be on the table because MLS is going to find it tougher to sell these cities, even the ones that have NASL teams already or USL pro te- or USL teams. They're going to find it more difficult to sell teams on the notion, ownership groups, guys with money, guys willing to put, to write the checks. It's going to be more difficult to sell them. If there, if the possibility of relegation comes into play, and then you just have the the basic fairness issue of well, expansion teams are generally suck anyway. You're, are you going to send down an expansion team the second year that, or the first year they're in the in the league? No, you're not going to do that. You need to have. You, well, that's not necessarily true. What do you mean? Orlando did pretty good. Cosmos could do great. Um, no, no, I'm, I'm, no, no but, great, but, but I'm saying so great. I'm saying that that. In the case, uh, take Orlando for example. Okay, yeah, Orlando put together a pretty good squad. They've had some good results, but it's very, it's very possible they finish in the bottom two in the Eastern Conference this year. If this, if promotion and relegation was instituted and they were under threat of relegation in their first season as an MLS team, again, no ownership group would ever buy into that idea. If the possibility of relegation is open in your first year as an expansion team, you're not putting, you're not putting up a hundred million dollars or seventy five hundred, seventy five million dollars. Or whatever it is. Because you're going to go down to the second division. The interest is going to wane. You're not going to get as much attention. You're not on national television anymore. It's 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 a domino effect. So again, but until... Not, not all of those things are, are exactly true. There is, you know, and especially coming in a, in a couple of years, and, you know, this would not even be able to happen in, you know, right away. Uh, NESL is, is moving up with their uh, TV and... You know, there's but, a lot but, of good again, fan bases. But again, if, Tim, if they had, if they knew that they could, there's a ton of these fan bases. I mean, Cosmos just got twelve. I'm 000. talking about the we had a bigger stadium. I'm talking about the guys. On a regular basis. Tim, I gotta move on, but I'm talking about the guys hey. writing the checks. You're not going to convince I the understand. guys writing the checks to write those checks if relegation is on the table in year one. So as I said, you're not gonna have any possibility of pro rel while MLS is in an expansion period. And we don't know when this expansion window is going to close because they're already talking about zooming past 24 teams. We're on this show discussing whether the full build out is 30 or 32 or 34. I've seen Grant Wall on Twitter say, Hey, the idea of a 40 team league with two tiers is a great one. Yes, exactly. It is. But how do we get there? All of those things, all of those steps between 
this place and ProRel, nobody knows how those are possibly going to happen. And I'm not defending the guys who write the checks for their stance that they won't sign up if ProRel's on the table. I'm not saying they're right to do that. I'm just saying that that's the reality of the situation. David in Arizona, what's up? Hey, Jason. Um, you know, my thoughts on this just real quickly uh, on this last point that's been discussed is I was very disappointed when the team, when the league went past 20 teams because I wanted them to stop and, and have a period of time where those latest expansion teams could, you know, uh, get into the league and have a few years and then, yeah. then you start talking about promotion relegation. So I don't think you can do it unless you have either a grandfather period for recent expansion teams or uh, you have a period of four or five years where you stop expanding and then right. you move on to this. Right. But you know, I'm just going to mention FC United of Manchester. Mm-hmm. This is a club that was formed in 2004-2005 right in that period of time when Buckham Glazer bought Manchester United. Uh, they literally a sponsor, I mean a sponsor, a uh, supporter-owned group, uh, team. They just got promoted to the uh, Conference North, which is essentially the sixth division in English uh, football, two more promotions, and they will be in the football league. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that can't happen in this country. And, and one thing that I think that the big guys with the checks, as you call them, what they're missing out is they're missing out on an opportunity to have the people who care about the game, who are willing to put in small amounts of money at a lower level, yeah. And build something up. They're missing that opportunity. Then they can come in and invest in a small group that knows what they're doing because they've had to struggle through the lower divisions yeah. and then invest in them as they get closer up to the top division. That's what's missing from the U.S. system. Okay. So we end up with a bunch of wealthy people who do not, Jason, give a whip about this game. There's very, people keep talking about these fans that are owners bunch of BS. There's a few of them, maybe. But they're <laughs> businessmen, they're sports people, half these people like Paulson, their entire family has been in the you know, in the business of sports franchises. They don't give a rip about soccer. Sure. It's just a business opportunity for them. Mm-hmm. And that's what's missing from the way that we do this in America. Okay. Alright, fair enough. And for some people, that's missing. For some people, it's not missing. For some people, they don't care about that thing. And, and again, I don't know what public opinion is on this i don't know think there's been a massive poll conducted on whether or not american soccer fans american fans who may come to soccer late because remember every year we're adding more soccer fans and i don't just mean the guy who has never given soccer a chance who's finally waking up to it i mean kids i mean uh you know there's a, there's a, a aging generation maturing generations are now growing up and becoming soccer fans I don't know. I, again, I'm not saying that there is one way or the other a, a, pers- a, a public opinion um, push for pro rel or, or or apathy towards it. I would be interested to see that, but it doesn't matter. What what the problem is that is that it doesn't matter right now. And and I I, I don't want to just throw up my hands. And I understand if people want to advocate for this. I just don't know. What, I don't know what the inroads. I don't know what inroads you could make by rabble rousing on Twitter. I don't know what inroads you can make doing that. Again, the people who sign the checks hold the power right now. And that's that's not great. That's not always the way it should be. The fans should have more say. We have to figure out a way to do that. And if you want to challenge them in court, okay, f- fair enough. As 
who was it? Uh, Ray Milwaukee suggesting the notion of, or maybe it was Guillermo suggesting the notion of a of an antitrust lawsuit. I, I don't know if there's anything to that. I, I don't know. And maybe we can talk to some people who've been around this game in this country for a longer period of time to see if they know. All right. Let's wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Remember, we are one week out from the launch of the Sirius XM FC 94 show at 11 a.m. Eastern on May 4th. Make sure you signed up for Sirius XM and gotten the package that gets you Sirius XM FC if you want to listen to that program. Uh, we're very excited to get started. That's when the show, this show, the web show, the WorldSoccerTalk.com show, moves back to 9 a.m. Eastern, so make sure you set your alarms for that as well you can go to backheel.com slash story buy yourself a lovely mug we've got some pretty cool t-shirts over there as well we've got a we've got a soccer morning t-shirt uh with the wonderful logo designed by three nil fc at three nil fc.com three nil fc has a uh, as a new look it's fantastic go check them out they have a lot of very cool stuff well beyond the soccer morning t-shirt that uh that i need to get my hands on to be honest with you All right. Thank you very much to all the callers. Thank you to Kyle McCarthy for his insights on MLS. We will be back tomorrow with a Tuesday edition of Soccer Morning. See you then. Bye.